This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. So, it's been generosity month, this month. And I just want to say well done for all of you. Even if you've ticked one thing on that list, well done. It's more than what you would have done if you... You know, if you didn't, didn't get a list in your hand. And I, I just want to say that God will most assuredly reward you. And for those of you who listened to, uh, to uh, Heinrich Titus last week preaching, you know, I was just so convinced again that this is, it's highly spiritual to bless somebody. It's highly spiritual to, to bless, to give, to, do, to be reaching good deeds. And sometimes we want to separate the two, and I just am more convinced than ever that God wants us to, to be a blessing and to see transformation. You know, not to only do a good deed, but to do a transformational deed. I mean, something that will transform, not only will bless, but will transform. So, well done for those of you who took part of this, uh, you know, as I say, even if you ticked one, I'm really proud of you. So if there's anybody, maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe, maybe you don't know what Generosity Month is all about. We've drawn up a list of 21 challenges just to facilitate God's love in our city. So if you may be interested, you don't know what I'm talking about, maybe you're visiting or maybe you've missed out on a few Sundays. If you are interested in just seeing this list and you don't have one yet, you're welcome to quickly raise your hand and then the ashes will get one to you. Is there anybody? You haven't received one yet. Okay, just, just keep your hands raised, please. It is, you can put it on your fridge. You can complete it over six months if you want. I actually want to encourage you not to stop. Let's not stop at the end of this month. It's not a, we call it generosity month, but we should actually call it a generosity lifestyle. Amen? Make this part of your lifestyle. Take it home and say, God, what can I make part of my life not only in October 2019, but for the rest of my life. It will transform you. It will change you forever. Okay, so I want to share with you a bit of my background. I grew up in, in a very small town. I, my dad was a, was a teacher. He wanted seven kids. He ended up having five. I was second in the, in the row. I have an older sister and then three younger brothers. So our house was busy. Busy, there were lots of action all the time, and my, daughter, my, my dad taught business economics and accounting. He was my high school accounting teacher, and my mom taught music, and she only went back into teaching when my youngest brother went to school. So I was then 14 years old. So my dad practically raised most of, well, all of us for a very long time on one teacher's salary. So my, my childhood was, was interesting, you know, in that sense that we had to think before we, before we spent money. And I remember the school gate being opposite our house, literally. So we all walked to school. That helped with the, you know, the petrol bill. And my mom made most of our clothes. So maybe homemade clothes is, is really awesome when, you know, I don't know, at a certain stage in your life, but when you're at school, it's not always that cool. I remember Andre looking at me at varsity, you know, when he, when he, I don't know, when he started noticing me, but he was like, this, 
women wearing funny clothes. <laughs> he always says that he really noticed that that was not bought in a shop. But in any case, my mom, my mom made most of our clothes. And um, we lived on hand-me-downs from other people. It was always exciting getting a black bag full of clothes because at least we had something, you know, to choose from. But, you know, we also drove an old Volkswagen Kombi, you know, one of those old ones. We had to kind of take a... a uh, what do you call it? You need to kind of run to close the door, you know. And it was, according to my memory, more at the mechanic than at our house. Seriously. So I grew up with a lot of things, you know, in my, in my, in my mind about rich and poor and are we rich, are we poor, uh, what are we, you know. Takeaways wasn't part of our lives. And whenever I wanted you know, one of these popsicle ice cream bars, you know, like, a, I know the Magnum existed in those days. Magnum is my favorite. But my dad would say, no, Sonica, I'm going to buy a five-liter vanilla ice cream, and then everybody can have. Because remember, we're seven in the house. So imagine now buying seven Magnums. It's for, for a family like, you know, like as tight as we were in terms of finances, it was just not an option. So... I, I grew up with a, a lot of tension or a lot of not tension. I, I felt responsible for my parents' finances. I felt guilty about many things. I remember playing with blisters on my feet, netball. I played netball with blisters on my feet for weeks because I felt too bad to tell my dad that the new pair of tackies we bought a few weeks ago was actually too small. We made a mistake. And I felt so bad because it was new it cost a lot of money, and now, surely I can't tell him that, you know, it's not working for me. I just need to play with blisters on my feet. So I grew up in a, you know, in a, in a season where, where money was not freely available. But yet, you know, also when I think back, there was always food on the table. There was always money for all my numerous music exams and, you know, those things. And also my dad got me through four years of university, with the help of a few, few bursaries, but he got me through four years of university. I still don't know how he did it. But he had, he had a way of working with money, which I really admire. You know, and he, he always says he, he could raise five kids on a teacher's salary because he did not drive an expensive car, which was very obvious, <laughs> and he did not go on expensive holidays, and he did not marry an expensive wife, apparently. So that was... That was his, his recipe for raising five kids on a, on a teacher, teacher's salary. But, you know, I didn't feel rich as a child. I really didn't. There were so many things I wanted that I couldn't have. There were so many things that my friends had that I couldn't have. So I didn't feel rich as a child. But the beauty of my childhood, of, or that part of my childhood, is that today I have such an appreciation for what God has given me. Because our lifestyle today is very different to what, my, my, to, to what it was when I, when I grew up as a child. And today I'm so thankful for not feeling rich when I was a child. Because today I feel extremely rich. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a few examples. You know, when, when, when I bought my first car in 1999, it was an Opel uh, Three-door Opel Corsa light 
without aircon. Second hand, I felt like a queen because the car wasn't at the mechanic ever. You know, it was working for me. It wasn't breaking down and I felt rich. I wasn't rich because I owed the money to the bank, but I felt rich. It was such an amazing experience for me. When Andre and I became debt-free for the first time in 2009, I felt super rich. I don't know if you've ever been debt-free. Complete, no study debt, no, no payment on your car or your house. Uh, since then, we've bought a house and we have a car payment again. So we're not debt-free at the moment, but there was a season in my life when we were debt-free. It is an amazing feeling. You feel rich. Even if you don't have much, you feel rich. You know, when my husband comes home with a bunch of Woolies roses, I feel very rich. When, when I go shopping and I buy a trolley full of groceries and I pack it out in my cupboards, I feel rich. And, you know, when I go to a coffee shop to have coffee, I didn't grow up like this. You know, takeaways wasn't part of our lives. Coffee shops, eating out, that was not part of my life at all. So if I do it now, I feel rich. And every time I can buy myself a king cone or a magnum, I feel super rich. We, we, we leave it for, you know, special, you know, holiday treats. But every time I do it, that feeling come back. You know, when my, my dad said, Sonica, I'm going to buy a five liter vanilla, vanilla, it's always been vanilla ice cream, a five liter vanilla ice cream that everybody can have. So, I have an appreciation for what God has given me because I didn't always have what I have today. And I'm thankful now that I didn't grow up with everything I wanted because today I, I feel rich. I, I really do. So I want to take you to a scripture in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 to 19. It's a command to the rich people. So listen to this. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. How beautiful is that? Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for, for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. So maybe you think, Sonica, I'm really happy that you're feeling rich, but I don't. And I really don't think the scripture is applicable to me. Maybe I shouldn't have come to church this morning. This message is not applicable to me. So I'm, I just want to maybe give you a different perspective on, your, on all these thoughts now running through your head. If you go to the global rich list, Go into the internet, you type in global rich list, and you type in your monthly salary or your yearly income, you are going to be very surprised. So if you do that, you will find that if you earn a net salary, so after tax, of 5,100 per month, you fall into the, into the world's richest 15%. Interesting. If you earn a net salary of 8,200 per month, you fall into the world's richest 5%. And if you, if you earn a net salary of 15,000 per month, you fall into the world's richest 1%. Into the world. 
richest 1%. You can go, you can go on there, you can do your own thing. But I want to I wanna encourage you, go and type in your yearly income, see where you fall. They actually give you, you are the, they will give you the exact number. You are so rich, 1,344,000. And they give you the exact number. This is where you stand according to how many people there are in the world. Very interesting. So maybe you are richer than what you think. Also, if you have a car and it sleeps in its own room in your house, you can count yourself as rich. Your car has its own room. If you water your grass with drinking water, drinking water, and your plants with drinking water, you can call yourself rich. You know, rich people get a paid holiday every year. You actually get paid to lie on the beach. You get paid while you are lying on the beach. If you get a paid holiday every year, you are rich. Rich people stand in front of a cupboard full of clothes, and they say, I have nothing to wear. Rich people buy water at a shop. I always judged people who would buy water. I was like, how can you waste your money like that? No, I'm one of those people who buy water. I buy water. Rich people upgrade their cars and their cell phones all the time. They upgrade. Rich people have the privilege of upgrading. Rich people complain about their internet speed. <laughs> You know, whenever I, um, Andre and I have these discussions often, then he says, oh, this is not working, this is not working. I tell him, it's rich people's problems, rich people's problems. <laughs> you know, like, when you, when you don't have internet, you can't complain about the speed of internet, but if you have internet, you are going to complain. Rich people get upset about the delayed flights. Oh, I need to fly somewhere, and I'm 20 minutes delayed, and I'm, you know, upset. <laughs> this is rich people's problems. Agreed? So... Maybe some of us are richer than what we think. So the scripture says, command those who are rich in this present age. Interesting. It talks about present age, which, which means there is an age to come. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. So let me take you to a scripture in Luke 12. It's Jesus. He told them a story about a rich man. Okay, this man, the character in this, in this movie is a rich man. He had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what shall I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Sounds like a good businessman, maybe. Maybe this is, is a really good, you know. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods, and I'll sit back and say to myself, My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. It sounds like financial independence. Eh? I just want to, at the age of 50, I want to be financially independent so that I can eat and drink and be merry. You know? And it, it, sounds, it sounds like a good goal, the whole thing of financial independence. But ultimately, we, our aim is not financial independence. Our aim is financial peace. So it's not about how much money you can save. It's about an internal atmosphere. Because you can come to your, your moment when you're financially independent and you can eat and drink and be merry and then you have no peace. So what is the point? 
You know, if you come to a point where, where, where you don't have peace. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you worked for? Because you, you can't take it with you, remember? In this present age, we have things that we can't take with us in the age to come. So I want you to know that God did not call him a fool for being rich. Being rich is not the problem. God called him a fool for being arrogant. You know, the scripture says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant and not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain because anything can happen to your wealth. God called him a fool for being arrogant and for putting his hope in wealth. He was looking at everything he had and all his plans, everything all his decision-making was based on what he had and what he's going to do when he don't you know, have to work anymore because there's so much. So I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about this. How much money do you need to secure yourself? No matter what happens with the economy, how much money do you need to secure yourself from, from everything and anything that nothing can touch you? No matter what happens to the economy. Any takers, what do you think? Should I give you the answer? The answer is more than what you currently have. And it will always be the answer. No matter how much you have, you will never feel as if you are safe and secure against... Because if, if the property market crashes, if... if you know, the political scene changes and the retirement or retirement funds, they, you know, everything crashes. No, no matter how much you have, it will disappear. It will, it will fly away, you know, because wealth is uncertain. There's an uncertainty with regards to wealth because anything can happen. And that is why the scripture says, command those who are rich, people who actually have things, not to put their hope in those things because it is uncertain. We will, we will never be able to secure ourselves from what can happen in this present age in terms of wealth. Our security should always be in God. You see, in the moment we allow our hope to shift to wealth, we'll feel compelled to hoard because what if? We'll be haunted with the question, what if? What if I don't have enough money for my holiday? What if my, what if the economy crashes? What if, what if, you know, this happens to that investment? You will always feel haunted by the question, what if? If your hope is in wealth. Because what if it's not enough? So you, you, will, you will close your hand. You will, your hand will begin to close. No matter how much money you have, your hand will begin to close. So even if you have lots to give, you won't give it because what if? What if something happens? And this is why the scripture says, Command those who are rich not to be arrogant and not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. So I want you to think, as a Christian, how do we become a rich fool? I mean, surely we don't just wake up one morning and decide 
from today onwards, I'm going to live like a rich fool. How do we become a rich fool? You know, I, I gave it some thought in my own life, and I realized that the moment I forget where I come from, the moment I forget what God has done in my life, the moment I forget that my mom made my clothes, but now I can, you know, I've, I can go to a shop, I can go to Woolies, or I can go somewhere and buy something. I could never do that as a child. The moment I forget, that is the moment where my heart shifts from God to wealth. Because I would look at what I have and think, I worked for this. I put in the hours. I am the one who, who you know, who can, who can congratulate myself and say, but Sonica, you've worked for this. So I want to take you to another scripture in Deuteronomy 8. It's a scripture Moses spoke to the Israelites just before they went into the promised land. Now remember they were in Egypt and God supernaturally delivered them and he said to them, I'm going to take you to a land of milk and honey. The promised land. I mean, it sounds like a a good movie. (laughs) A really good movie. End of a good movie. And then Moses said something very interesting to them. This is now just before they move into the promised land. He told, he told them, but this is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, remember they were slaves. They had nothing. They were slaves in Egypt. God rescued them, but he didn't only rescue, he didn't only deliver them, he was going to give them a land of milk and honey. They could build, they could plant, they could make a living, they could become rich and wealthy. And then Moses said to them, when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied, along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and do not forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. He did all this so that you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God for he is the one who gives you power to be successful. In the New King James it says, for it is God who gives you the power to get wealth. I think the moment we forget, the moment we, we don't remind ourselves of opportunities that we have received, that was opportunity from God, or a, a breakthrough, or an answered prayer, or, or supernatural provision, the moment we forget, that is the moment when we move, from, move into that territory of becoming, potentially becoming a rich fool. And I know we wouldn't necessarily just call anybody a rich fool. But I think the moment we forget, the moment we, we, as the scripture says, the moment we say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. And the thing is, if you have worked hard for what you have achieved in life, it's easy to, to feel that way. You know, but once we have our qualification, our breakthrough, our business deal, it's so easy to forget the Lord. You know, I should never forget where I come from. I should never forget my childhood. There was a season in my life where 
I thought I would never be able to go to university. I really wanted to. But when I looked at my parents' finances and our financial situation, I was like, how on earth am I ever going to be able to go to university? How, how would I ever be able to, to study? And I still don't know how my dad paid for my studies. I still don't know how he got me through university, but he did. But it was God's provision. You know what? Something very beautiful happened when, when I, my very first year at university, when I started going to Sheriff, I went on a camp. It was very English at that stage, or most people were English-speaking. And then there was this one English girl, and she, and she brought a word. And she said, I don't know why, I, I must say this in Afrikaans, but now she said it in Afrikaans. And she basically said that God wants to tell you that he will provide for you and your family. Now, it sounds like a very simple word, but I knew. It, it, it went straight deep, deep, deep into my heart. And in that moment, I just knew it's going to be okay. See, because I grew up feeling guilty about everything. You know, when nobody else is feeling guilty, I'm already feeling guilty about spending my parents' money. And, you know, now I'm worried, I worry about them while they're paying for my studies. I was just in this constant mode of, of worry and feeling responsible for their financial position. And now I'm, ta- I'm taking even more money from them. And, you know, and that word set me free. And I realized that day that, my dad isn't even my provider, but God is my provider. So the fact that my dad paid for me, it, it was my dad, but it was ultimately God who made it possible for him to pay for my studies. I should never forget that there are people who want to go to university, but they can't because of various reasons. I can never forget, you know, that I failed my, my first board exam and by the grace of God, eventually I passed my studies. I can never forget that there were, there were times when I was down and out, when I, you know, when we had a lot of debt and we, I, I was, you know, I still remember the, when Andre and I got married. Our debt was 165,000 rand. That was the number we had to pay off. I was like, that was 2001. And I was like, how on earth are we going to do this? And I was determined to pay it off, but I was like, how? How? Andre was still studying when we got married. I was doing my articles. I mean, we had barely money to, to live on, but I had this debt and I was determined. I'm getting rid of this and I didn't know how. I should never forget those moments where, where God would bless us, where where things would change in our lives and where God would be my provider. So I want to ask you this morning, where have you come from? What, what stories do you have? What breakthroughs have you had? Do you remember the moments when you cried out to God to pass the exam or to come through for you with a business deal or to give you a promotion or opportunity? Do you remember those moments when you were desperate for, for God to answer your need or to meet your need? We should never forget those moments because that keeps us from becoming a rich fool where we put our hope in wealth. And we forget that ultimately everything we have is a gift from the Lord. And I often remind myself of myself of, of where I come from. So I'm going to take you to the second command in that scripture. So the first one is 
command those who are rich not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain. We all agree on that. It's uncertain. Let's look at the second, second command. It says, command those who are rich to stop being rich, to feel very guilty about what they have, to cancel the expensive holiday, that's the most important command in that scripture, and to sell their house and their car and give all the money to the poor. Is that what the scripture says? Whew. I'm very thankful that it isn't, because otherwise nobody would have come back to church next week. Feeling guilty is not the solution, and I had to learn that. I had to learn that feeling guilty about my parents' situation or my own or other people not having something, feeling guilty is not going to change anything. This is why the Scripture says that, you know, command them to to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, and to be willing to share. So feeling guilty is not going to change anything. Judging other people for going on expensive holidays is not going to change anything either. Or judging people for driving a fancy car. God gives everything to us for our enjoyment. And by that, I'm not saying we should drive fancy cars and we should go on fancy holidays. You need to determine. But we cannot judge one another, ever. You know, if your conviction is that you must drive in, in whatever you drive in, not going to insult any, anything now. <laughs> if that is your conviction, that you must drive in a certain car, but somebody else's conviction is that he or she must drive something else, we cannot judge one another, ever. Because ultimately, we need to live, according, we, we need to live by faith, and we need to live according to what God has given us to give. But in the context of a fancy car or expensive holiday or whatever we do with our money, the command is to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and to be willing to share. So you can drive the cheapest car on the market, okay, and look very godly or humble or poor. I don't know what you want to look like if you drive the, I mean, you can drive whatever you want, okay, as long as we do good and be rich in good deeds. So, You could drive the most expensive car and be rich in good deeds. You can be generous and willing to share, or you can drive the cheapest car on the market and not be rich in good deeds. It's not a reflection. What we have and what we drive in or the the holidays we have or the house we live in, it's not a reflection whether we are obedient to the Scripture or not. You cannot make the assumption that somebody driving a fancy car is not rich in good deeds, ever. The the key is to put our hope not in wealth, but in God. And to remember that He does give everything to us for enjoyment. Don't feel guilty about about what you have. Don't feel guilty about the opportunities you've had or about the money you earn. Just be rich in good deeds. Just be willing to share. Just be generous. And you see, this will not be possible when we put our hope in wealth. Because what happens when we put our hope in wealth? We are haunted by the what-if question and our hands begin to close. So our our foundation to be able to, to do what, to fulfill this command is to put our hope not in wealth but in God. It's liberating. It is liberating. And sometimes we need to purposefully put our hope in God. 
You know, and this is why we need to lead our hearts. You know, I'm, I'm somebody, I, I like saving money. I like planning. I like, I, you know, Andre laughs at me because I have this, this spreadsheet, you know, for our savings. So I save for car services. Then I save for holidays. Then I save for birthdays. Then I have about 20 columns, okay? If you are interested in my columns, then, I don't know, email me or something. <laughs> because, I, and I, nobody taught me this. I learned it. We go on holiday and then, you know, where's the money? We're now in the red. Okay, we need to save towards holiday. Oh, there's a car service and it's now 3,000 rand. We didn't expect it and, you know, there goes the money. So I, I learned to save. But I can never save my way to security. You see, this is my strength and my weakness. So I like saving, I like planning, I like making provision. But if I put my hope in those columns on my spreadsheet, I'm going to be stressed out. I'm going to live in fear. I'm not going to be rich in good deeds. So every now and again, God challenges me. That money, Sonica, that you have saved now for the last two years, it took you so long, and it takes, it takes effort to save money. It does. It takes sacrifice, it takes planning, it takes diligence. So I often want to tell God, Lord, it, it was really difficult to save this money. You know how you know how I had to make it work on a monthly basis to put money aside. And then God tells me, I want you to give some of it away. And he gets my attention. <laughs> the moment he asks me to give savings away, you see, we, we budget to give. When, when I budget to give, it's very easy for me to give because it's budgeted. It's, I give it away before I even give it away. Okay? I, I budget to give. It's in the budget. I let go of it before I even receive the money. It's already given. It's a wonderful uh, uh, spiritual discipline. It sets you free. But I've grown into that, that that's not difficult for me anymore. The part that is difficult is giving away money that I've saved for Years or for months. And it, it did, I didn't save it by, whoops, there's like 10,000 and I save it. Because I don't have 10,000 that I just quickly save. I have a 500 and a 200 and a, and a this and a that and then it becomes 10. So if God asks me to give away the 10, that took me really not only a long time, but also it took a lot out of me. Then he gets my attention and I feel it. And it is very good for me to then let go of that money because I feel it and I deliberately then move my hope from wealth to God. Especially if I actually saved it for something specific. It is very difficult, but it sets me free. Every time I'm challenged to do that, I feel free. And there's been moments in my life where I wasn't a joyful giver. I cried. (laughs) I'm growing. I am growing. But there were seasons in my life where I saved something for three years and then God asks me to give it away and then I cry for days. Really, I cry for days because I'm giving away a dream that I saved for. And then every time God comes and he proves himself faithful, that he is my provider, that the moment I let it go, I don't, I'm not only free, I'm not only 
you know, free from this burden that it's my responsibility to save. I'm free from, God comes and he deposits something in me. He deposits faith. He deposits freedom. And he deposits a, a contentment. It, something that I can't really explain in words. And I just know it's worth it. This scripture brings life. To be rich in good deeds, to be willing to share and to be generous. And sometimes you must feel it. Sometimes you must feel the pain almost of letting go. And then God comes. It's almost like, you know, you, you have your hand closed and you're holding on for dear life to this 10,000 rand. Let's call it 10. Or there's something that you have and the, the moment you open your hand and you let it go, God comes and he puts something else in this hand, which I want to call peace or contentment or joy or freedom or just a Burden, it takes a burden. Because I can never save my way to security. Even though it, it, it's something in me that I do without even thinking. It, it's, a, it's the way God made me, you know. Just the, this is the way I do things. Which is a massive blessing most of the time. When, but when I don't want to let go, it becomes a burden. When I look, when I hold on to this money, it becomes a burden. Because then I become my own provider because I can save. And I know how to save. And I will save. And I will make this work. And then I become my own provider and it becomes a massive burden on my shoulder. So this is why we sometimes deliberately and intentionally need to let go of our stuff. And this is why we did this for you guys. Just to show you that the moment we start giving, it's a burden off our shoulders. And it changes your life forever. So I want to encourage you, again, not to stop at the end of this month, but to make it a lifestyle. You know, the last part of the scripture says, in this way, they will lay up treasures for, for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Remember, there was the present age, which is this age. Then there's a coming age, which we don't understand. We, I mean, we, no matter how much we think about it, we don't understand eternity. We don't understand that there will be no pain, no sorrow, no crying, no sickness. We don't understand it, but that is the truth. This is what, this is what we believe. And there's a, there's a coming age. It's going to look very different to this age. And when we give, we lay up treasures for the coming age. How it will look like exactly, I don't know. But I just know whatever you give, it's never wasted. Because I also battled with that. Sometimes I felt irresponsible when I give because surely Lord I've saved now for three years I was supposed to buy this thing now I can't because I give it away isn't this irresponsible and God said no it's the best investment you can ever make giving is not an expense it's an investment giving is not an expense it's an investment and I had to learn that and it, it changes your whole perspective on eternity, when you start giving. And I'm not saying you make debt to give. I need at least three Sundays with you guys. But don't make debt to give to other people, okay? I'm not saying God can't lead you to do that, but the Bible has a lot to say about debt. So let's tackle our debt. Let's be ruthless when it comes to debt. Let's pay it off. This is why one of these things is... You know, pay off a little bit more than your, than your monthly, where's that one? 
Number 17, pay off more debt than your monthly commitment and trust the Lord to become debt-free. Go for it. But we can never, the, the reason for this is when we're debt-free, it opens up our, our resources to give. When we are in debt, it cripples us. It keeps us bound. We cannot do what we're supposed to do when we're swamped in debt. So when we give, we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven and we take hold of life that is truly life. It is a lifestyle that cannot be compared to any, any amount of money. The freedom, the peace, the contentment, the, just the feeling that God is faithful and He will provide and that I can trust in Him. You know, 10 years ago, last story, then I'm going to end. I have a promise to fulfill, okay? Half past. 10 years ago, I walked away. I'm going to take off this thing now, okay? I've done my uh, bit now for the box. <laughs> 10 years ago, I walked away from a very big salary to join Andre uh, at the church full-time. It's our dream. We love it. I don't miss my previous life or the money at all. But... In doing that, I took hold of life that is truly life. Not because I work for the church. You need to understand me now. It, working for the church is not taking hold of life that is truly life. Putting your hope in God and not in wealth. That is taking hold of life that is truly life. But God gave me the grace to make the right decision at the right time 10 years ago. And I was very much aware of how our financial situation would change. I was the main breadwinner for many years. While Andre was studying and when he started as a youth pastor, I was the one who basically provided for him to be able to do full-time ministry. It was a great privilege for me and we partnered together to do this. But we had this dream to do it together and I knew that things are going to change in our lives. And today I just want to say to you that we are more blessed than ever. What we have today is worth more than any amount of money I would have ever earned. Not because I work for the church, because you guys need to please understand me now. It's not about working for the church. It's about positioning yourself in a way where you don't put your trust in wealth. So you can walk in obedience to God when He calls you to do things and not hold on to money. That is life that is truly life. So if we live in a place of fear constantly and cannot be obedient to the Lord in this area of our lives, we do not live a life that is truly life. We live a life of the what-ifs, the fears, the, 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 the insecurity and the, the anxiety around finances, and we'll never get away from finances. We all need to earn something because we all need to make a living. And if we can become free in this area of our lives, it will be life that is truly life. So I want to encourage you, wrestle it through with God. Take your finances to Him. There's another one that says, uh, commit your personal financial goal, goals to God through prayer. Take your financial situation to Him, whatever it is, and say, God, this is my position. This is what I have. This is my income. This is my expense. Show me. Show me. Teach me. Lead me. Help me to live a life that is truly life. Amen? Okay. 
Please stand with me. I want us to do a declaration as a church as we're ending off this series. If you can join me. Okay, we can do this together. I'm not going to read it out. You can, you can do this with me. Okay, I declare that I love my city. I believe that God has planted me in East London for a reason. To be a blessing. To change the atmosphere. To bring hope and healing. To overcome evil by doing good. To be generous and to share willingly. I declare that I will lead my heart to actively do good and to be rich in good deeds. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to partner with you and to be your hands and feet in our church and in our community. Help me to reveal your heart to our city. Amen. Your, your job or your workplace, where you are currently, you're there for a season, for a reason. Okay? You might not be there for the rest of your life, but there's a season that you need to walk out faithfully, diligently. Because it's more than just a job. God wants you to be a blessing. He wants you to change the atmosphere. He wants you to do good. Amen? So look at your job in a different perspective, even if it's not what you want to do for the rest of your life. You know, I was in auditing for 11 years. It wasn't what I was wanted to do for the rest of my life. But I walked it out, and I, there were many times I wanted to run away. You know, I didn't want to do it anymore. And I just felt God said, just just stay here, you know, just stick it out a bit longer. And I left, I left in a season when there was, the, when I didn't want to run away. I could leave honestly on a good note and, and, and knowing that I have, I've walked out this journey. And it wasn't easy. There were seasons I wanted to run away. But I'm thankful today that when I left, it was the right time, it was the right season, and I left in a way that, that brought glory to God. You know, I didn't run away. I didn't, I didn't leave with the attitude of, I hate this place and I hate this people and I can't take it anymore and I'm going to look for something better. Because if you leave like that, you're going to encounter a new season full of challenges and you might run away again. So I want to challenge you guys to look at your job and your work in a different way. So I'm here for a reason, and I will serve God diligently and faithfully until He tells me to move on. Amen. Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.